Good morning, Valley family. Welcome to uh, our week, our holiday weekend gathering. I, I guess I should put it that way. Labor Day, end of summer. How many people are just really not feeling fall just yet is not you need to get with the program because it's here uh no, no question about it. it's most wonderful time of the year college football has started kids going back to school parents are really joyful about that uh no just kidding it's kind of strange having no kids at home now that Susie and I are empty nesters uh fall it's just going to feel just like summer uh, you know, no real difference, no school supplies, uh, nothing at all like that. We just miss our kids. That's all there is to it. Hey, want to mention uh, next week, talking about school, we're going to have our back to school blessing next week. Now, we know most of the kids are going back to school this week, but a lot of them are away. So we wanted to hold the blessing. We wanted to bless as many of the kids and the teachers. We have so many that are involved in education. So that's going to be next week. Invite you back for that, uh, our back to school blessing uh, next Next week for all uh, faculty and teachers as well. And we're kicking off a brand new series. You saw the little bumper there, Unpopular Opinion. We're going to be talking about investing in the next generation uh, specifically uh, next week. And today is Ice Cream Sunday. You're going to get an ice cream sandwich uh, on the way out. Not a, not a bad deal kind of for the end of summer there. And for those of you joining us on our online campus, I'm sorry we can't squeeze that uh, through the, uh, the data rate that's going there. But anyway, how about a big hand for everybody joining us on our online campus. It's pretty mind-blowing. We have, on average, right about 500 people every single weekend joining us on our online campus from literally all across, not only America, but uh, international as well. And so uh, we're just so thankful for all the technology. And uh, everything okay back there, Drew? Looks like our tech director is actually fixing something even as we speak there. Let's give Drew a big hand, even though he's... Even though he roots for Ohio State, we're going to go ahead and, and, and clap for him there. So this is the end of our series, talking about walking away from Jesus. And, and I wanted to look, this is week number nine in this series, I wanted to look at maybe what's a pretty familiar story to conclude this series. Uh, I don't know about you, I remember learning this story when I was, actually when we lived in Georgia, I, I was a little fella in the Baptist church, and we learned the song about Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Uh, although it, it's not just, you know, for little nursery school age kids, it's in the Bible. There's something really significant that happens in this story. So I want to jump right in. Luke chapter 19, uh, and I'm calling this big change. Big change. I was going to say big change for a little life because uh, he was a wee little man. Uh, but we're going to find out that a lot of what happens here uh, kind of misses us, maybe because we heard that little song when we were kids. But there's a lot that we can apply to our own lives and what happens to Zacchaeus here. So I want to read the passage and then we'll unpack it in our time together. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed into a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, let's just kind of stop right there. There's a couple things here I think that are important to note. First of all, 
He was a tax collector. Now, uh, you know, we'd probably read through this and we'd go, oh, he worked for the IRS. No, it was something even worse than working for the IRS. Uh, that he was a tax, so he was Jewish, but he capitulated to the Roman government. In other words, he was an agent of the occupying force. So, so this is not just a tax collector. It's not IRS. This is like the people that... that uh, were informants for the Nazis as the Nazis were taking over Europe. That, that's who he really is. This is like the Vichy government in France during World War II. And, and so, so he's not just a, a government agent. He's actually become wealthy at the expense of his own countrymen because he's betrayed them. And that's often what would happen in those times, biblical times. Roman was an occupying force, and they were a brutal occupying force. And so they would enlist nationals to collect the tax, the revenue. And that's who Zacchaeus was. He was a, a national. He was Jewish. And the, those nationals would take a little off the top. Sometimes they'd take a lot off the top. And so as you see there, he was very wealthy. He, he was skimming off the top, making money off the backs of his fellow Jews. He was absolutely despised. No one wanted to give him the time of day. Everybody knew who he was and knew what he was about. He was totally and completely corrupt. And not only that, he was vertically challenged. He was really, really short. And the interesting thing is, just think about it, you know, I'm, I'm like average height. I think still male average height uh, is, is five foot nine, and I'm five foot nine. Actually, I'm five eight and three quarters, but my license says five foot nine, so give me that quarter inch. But so, so I'm average, but, but if, if you're above average, let's say you're six foot four, six foot five, we've got a couple men in the church that are like six six, six seven, you know that, that like, no one's really going to get in your way in terms of your line of sight, right? So if you're in the front row, what would you do? If you're in the front row of something, you would move to the back so that all the vertically challenged people could get up in the front and they could see. But Zacchaeus knew, even though he was short, no one was going to move out of the way to allow him to see because of who he was. He was corrupt. He, he was wealthy. He, he was an informant for the Roman Empire. And he heard about this guy named Jesus. And he heard about this guy named Jesus doing all kinds of miracles and this amazing teaching. And he's like, I just want to I, I see. I, I want to see who he was. Don't, don't miss that because that's kind of key to the entire story. It's not that he wanted Jesus to do anything for him. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. He didn't have a prayer request. He didn't have a need. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. And so he climbs up in this sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see, as the song goes. He just wanted to see who he was. And look at what it says. So he climbed up in the tree, and since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Zacchaeus didn't call out to him. 
Zacchaeus didn't say, Lord, you know, I, please, you know, th- this is what's going on. I, I, I need your healing touch. I need, you know, whatever. Jesus stops. He sees him up in the tree, and he says, come out of there immediately. The story goes on and it says, Jesus says to him, I must stay at your house today. Now, there's a whole lot more going on here that I'll explain in just a minute. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you know anyone who's a sinner like that? <laughs> who, who, do you know someone that, that you'd be like, I can't believe that Jesus would be spending time with that guy. With that guy. They're a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Just because Jesus said, I need to go to your house today. Big change for a little life. Big, big change. I'll pay back four times the amount. And it goes on and says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus did not pray any prayer of repentance. Zacchaeus did not shake the pastor's hand. Zacchaeus was not a good person. And he didn't do anything to get Jesus' attention that merited the Son of God even speaking to him. And yet Jesus says, salvation's come to your house today. If you grew up in church or you spend any amount of time in church, the Bible can really mess you up as a Christian because there's so much that is kind of laid over the top of Christianity that's really not Christian at all. That there's so much that scholars and theologians would say there's no way this man can actually be forgiven of his sins. He didn't even confess any sins. And yet Jesus said, salvation has come to your whole house. And his life was completely transformed. So, I think there's a big question with this story today as we talk about, we conclude this series, Walking Away from Jesus. What does a life-changing encounter with Jesus really look like? What is it, what was, does a life-changing encounter with Jesus look like regular church attendance? Not based on this story, it doesn't. What does a life-changing encounter with Jesus? How do we know that, that, that we have actually encountered the living Jesus Christ? Because there's some big changes that happen in our life. Four things, I think, specifically that we can learn from this story. Kind of like, can I put it this way? A blueprint of how we can know and how we can understand that our lives can be transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not, I, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian. I'm just kind of exploring this thing called Christian faith. We're glad you're here. 
We hope it's a great experience for you today. Maybe you're, you're here this week and like you're getting back to Jesus. We're glad you're here. Best place on earth that you could be. All of us, every one of us, even if we've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a long time, we all need life-transforming experience with Jesus. A life-changing encounter with Jesus. So what does a life-changing encounter with Jesus really look like? Because here's the thing before we jump into him. Zacchaeus experienced, you ready for this? The difference between religion and grace. Religion and the gospel. Religion does not transform a human life. It just changes the outside and it might change the, the schedule of a person a little bit. But a life-changing encounter with Jesus, the gospel, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. Everything. And we all need that change. So what does it look like? Here's the first thing. It starts with something as simple as intellectual openness. Just, just being open one of the things I love another, about this whole story is, again, Zacchaeus wasn't necessarily needy, that there wasn't a crisis in his life. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. That was it. He, he wasn't even necessarily looking for salvation. He, he wasn't looking for a completely different direction in his life. He's just like, I just want to see this guy that everybody's talking about, and the only way I can see him is by climbing up in the tree because no one's going to part, their, part the crowd so that I can see him because I'm kind of a short guy. All he had was intellectual openness, and that's all that it really takes. Just honest, intellectual, I just want to see who Jesus is. Who, who really is Jesus? In the Old Testament, it puts it this way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Sample. Just, just, just being honest. I, I know many people that they're, they're actually not intellectually open to who Jesus is. That they have preconceived ideas, preconceived uh, notions about who Jesus is. And most of those things are not because they've ever read the Bible before, but because they've heard someone else tell them what the Bible says but never actually, who actually is Jesus? It's amazing, historically, people like uh, C.S. Lewis and others that set out to prove that Jesus was not the Son of God by reading the Bible, and what ended up happening? They became followers of Jesus Christ because they were actually intellectually open instead of closed off a preconceived idea. By the way, let me just encourage you, and I've done this from time to time, want to do it again. If you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you, read the whole Bible from cover to cover. It's like important, you know? How are we going to follow Jesus if we don't know who Jesus really was? And nothing shows us that like, the God, like God's Word, the Bible. Zacchaeus is a great example for us. Don't wait until your life is falling apart, but with sheer intellectual openness, it's possible to get started in a relationship with Jesus. It just takes intellectual openness. Here's the second thing. How do we really, what does a life-changing encounter with Jesus look like? It means we must push through what people say and think about you. You gotta push through what people say and think about you. 
In other words, for Zacchaeus, any Jew who became a tax collector was selling his soul to the Roman Empire for money. That's what a tax collector was at that time. And so everyone, when he came walking, oh, there's a sellout. There's Zacchaeus. He's completely corrupt. He totally sold out his own countrymen. Here's how you tell the difference between a real Christian uh, and people who are just religious people who go to church. Are you ready for it? The way that they use the word sinner. Notice what the crowd said. They were a very religious crowd. They said Zacchaeus is what? A sinner. How would Jesus spend any time with that sinner? What do you think of when you think of the word sinner? What pops into your mind when you hear that word sinner? You know what pops into my mind? Greg Williamson. They're talking about me. Because that's who I am. A religious person, when, they, when the word sinner is brought up, they always think about someone else. Someone else who actually should be hearing this sermon right now. That person you're thinking about, yeah, you think of them as a sinner. But we should think of ourselves as a sinner. Very, very interesting. Let me just go back a, a little bit, a chapter before this. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story, and it says that the Pharisees went to pray, this particular Pharisee, and he stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not like the rest of you. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. He saw a tax collector. Again, this whole idea of sinners are all these other people that need to hear this more than I do. That, that's, that's the perspective of religion. Someone else really needs to hear this instead of God. I'm a sinner. I need to hear this today. Interestingly enough, right in Luke chapter 18, drop down a few verses and it goes on. And there's actually, if we'll go ahead and put it up there. Uh, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Have you evolved past being a sinner? Are you better than that today? If you are, you can't experience a life-changing encounter with Jesus. You have to understand, I'm a sinner. That's why he came. That this word sinner always kind of, and how we use it, how we think about it, it always tips the hand. Do we really understand the gospel or are we just religious Pharisees at heart? The crowd looked at Zacchaeus and they said, what is Jesus doing talking to that sinner? Because they all felt like they were morally superior to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew exactly who he was and he knew exactly what he had done. It means to, to experience a life-changing encounter with Jesus, it means you've got to push through what people say and what they think about you. Here's the third thing. A life-changing experience with Jesus occurs. It happens when you discover the difference between grace and religion. That's what's so amazing about grace. That saved a wretch like me. 
In verse 5, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. But in verse 9, he says, today's salvation has come to this house. Do, do, do you see what he's saying here? Now, this whole idea of hospitality is very, very different in biblical times than it is for us. And that's why we kind of miss this. When, when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, I must come to your house today. He's not like, I'm kind of hungry, could you fix me a meal? That's, that's not what's happening. In biblical times, when you invited someone into your home, what you were literally doing by that invitation, and if they came to your home, you were actually saying to them, I am committed to your well-being for the rest of your life. It's a lifetime commitment when you invited someone into your home. You're like, I'm looking out for you. I, I'm inviting you to the most personal aspect of who I am as a human being. I'm inviting you into my home. We don't do that much anymore, do we? I, I mean, nowadays you knock on someone's front door, is a good way you get shot, right? Like, what are you doing here? You ring the doorbell, you, you know? I, I mean, even the delivery people don't ring the doorbell anymore, you know? I, I mean, it's just like, it's a different world. But in those days, if you invited someone into your home and they came into your home, what you were saying is, you're my friend for life. And so when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must come to your home today. He's calling out Zacchaeus. He, he's saying, Zacchaeus, will you open up the most personal, intimate place of your life to me? And Zacchaeus didn't have time to go home and vacuum and dust. Didn't have time to, to, to prepare for the show and tell, you, you know, like, oh, yeah, we always live like this. Our home always looks like this. <laughs> Didn't have time to do any of that. What is Zacchaeus' response? I'm going to pay back everything that I ever overcharged anyone times four. He's like, it's done. I, I'm going to completely do a 180 in my life. Because this man, Jesus has come in to the deepest, even the darkest parts of my life. So much more happening in this story than just the, the, the little Sunday school rhyme. It's the difference between grace and religion. The crowd is not inviting Jesus into their home. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home, and that's what made all the difference in other words, Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, you're not saved, Zacchaeus, by anything you can do. There's nothing you can do. I'm coming home with you right now. You have no time to prepare. There is nothing, Zacchaeus, that you can do to really earn my salvation. Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, and he's saying to you and me, you're saved by what only Jesus does. And what he's going to do. Not by impressing Jesus. Not by cleaning up the clutter in your life. Get, get right and then come to Jesus. Zac uh, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I have to come to your house today, right now. And Zacchaeus in essence is like, okay, I surrender everything. I, I completely give up. And I invite you into the darkest places in my life. Jesus Christ is saying, I'm coming, Zacchaeus. I'm committed to you. I'm coming into your life. 
and I'm loving you first before you ever love me. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I must come to your house today. A life-changing encounter with Jesus happens when we experience the difference between grace and religion. Every religion on the planet except Christianity says you've got to do these things in order to get to God. Christianity and Christianity alone, when it's really understood, is the only faith that says there is nothing you can possibly do. That's why God came to you. That's why God came to me. That's why Jesus, that's why we celebrate Christmas, because God came to us. That's why we celebrate Easter, because God did what none of us could do. God came and he lived a sinless life and he laid that life down as a substitute for you and for me. He took my place and your place on the cross and he rose again from the dead, proving it's paid in full. The price of my sin is paid in full. Religion says, earn it. Religion says, be better, do better, do more. The gospel says, look at what he did. And that kind of brings us to really, that's what grace is all about, and that's what really brings us to the fourth point. To experience life-changing encounter with Jesus, it always results in a radically changed life, attitude, and practice towards money and possessions. You can always tell a heart that's committed to Jesus by how we spend our money, by how we handle our finances. You can't get around that in this story. Zacchaeus was a corrupt tax collector, and he encountered Jesus, and it changed everything about how he handled money because of Jesus, and in real, real powerful ways. Powerful ways that challenge our hearts today. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If our treasure and what we do with our finances do not reflect our commitment to Jesus Christ, he really doesn't have our heart. He said it, not me. He said that, not me. Recently, we had a Zillennials meeting, and it was question and answer for uh, Ask the doctor. So people text in their questions. And uh, a, a number of them, there were like six or seven questions that came in. A number of them were about relationships. And, and, and one of the uh, people text in and they asked like, how do you know you found the one? How, how do you know you found the one? I, I hope it was a single person. Uh, how do you know that you found the one that, that, that God has for you? And off the top of my head, I just listed like 10 things. Do, 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 do. And, 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 uh, but one of them uh, on like the top 10 ways that you know you found the one, one of them you could just see kind of like, everyone's like, what? Because you know what I put in there? One of the ways that you know you found the one that God has for you. Now, now if you're married, uh, too late. Uh, but, but if you're single, I'll just repeat this again. They tithe. That's on the top 10 ways, how you know you found the one that God has for you. They're a tither. And, and the reason I say this is, Susie would never have married me if I wasn't a tither. Because she knew Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart. Jesus didn't have my heart. And, and I wouldn't have married her either if she wasn't a tither. 
In fact, she's going to be here at 1030. And she told me, you know, we were talking about, and I was, said, I'm going to share this story. And she said, well, make sure you share this. And so I'm going to make sure I share this about the story. She said, honey, I, I, I'm still probably wouldn't have married you, even though you do tithe. I always have since I've known you. She said, but I remember before we were ever dating, when we used to have our missionary uh, week, when the missionaries would come in, and the way the church would do it back then, people would raise their hands and commit to give money above and beyond their tithe to support missionaries. I remember you raising your hand and saying to Joel Hollingsworth in Germany that above your tithe, you were going to send $15 a month. And she said, that got my attention. And in her own words, what she says is, because I knew if you're generous with God, with what God's put in your hands, and you're generous for other people, you be generous to me as your wife. Powerful. Reading the Bible will mess you up as a Christian. So it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Everything hinges. This whole entire story about Zacchaeus is not about he was short. It's about a 180 in perspective of our finances and our money when we really encounter Jesus, truly encounter him. And so what is it that we have to give in a relationship with Jesus? People ask that question. I mean, what is it that we should give? Now, it's kind of interesting in Luke chapter 11, right before this, uh, that Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says, you should tithe. Luke chapter 11. He, he says that a number of times throughout the gospel. He says, you should tithe. That's something you should do. In the New Testament, he says that. But interestingly enough, Zacchaeus and what he says he's given, he literally, when you break down the percentages, he says, I'm giving 50% of everything I own back to God and those who I stole from. 50%. So is it 10% that Jesus said you should do, or is it 50% that Zacchaeus did? Hold on, just to muddy the water even further. In Luke chapter 18, this is all right closely together. Luke chapter 18, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And the rich young ruler said, what must I do in order to gain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, sell everything you own. Give it all to the poor, and then you'll have eternal life. Which is it? 10%? 50%? Or 100%? I think it all has to do with, does he have our heart or not? Because the one who he said, give 100% away, turned away from him. And could not follow him. He never suggested anything to Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus had a life-changing experience. And he said, I'm giving half of everything to God. The Pharisees, who he said, they served me with their mouth, but their heart's far from me. He said, you ought to give 10%. You ought to give 10%. How much should we give? A heart that has truly been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't ask how much I can give. A heart that has truly been transformed by Jesus Christ, an encounter, not religion, an encounter with Jesus, they ask, how much can I possibly give and still be 
a responsible adult? It's a very different question. How much can I possibly give and still be responsible? I think that's what Zacchaeus was doing. How much can I possibly give and still be responsible as an adult? And for him, the answer was, because he was very healthy, half. Gave half of what he had away. See, when Jesus said in the New Testament, where your treasure is, your heart is, that is like a, (laughs) there's no way to like work around that. Our checkbook reveals what's really the priority or who's really the priority in our life. Zacchaeus, so many times we as well, we ask the wrong question. We ask, what must I give? Instead of, what can I give? What can I give and still be a responsible adult? There's one other thing that's happening here that I think is so incredibly powerful that I don't want us to miss. What did Zacchaeus climb up in? Climbed up in a tree, didn't he? And when Jesus comes by, he stops and he says, get down immediately. Sounds kind of forceful, doesn't it? Get down immediately out of that tree. Do you know why? He said, Zacchaeus, you, you get down immediately. Don't, don't, don't stay. You come down right now. Do you know why? Because Jesus knew he loved Zacchaeus so much. Zacchaeus shouldn't climb up into a tree for Jesus. Jesus was going to climb up on a tree for him. The cross. That's why I said come down immediately. In essence, it's like, Zacchaeus, I, I really appreciate half of what you've given of everything you have, but I'm not giving half for you, Zacchaeus. Because if I only give half, you're still condemned for all eternity. I'm going to climb up in a tree. I'm going to be nailed to a tree. And I'm going to give you everything. My perfect, sinless life. That's how much I care about you, Zacchaeus. Because you know you're a sinner. You you know you need me. Interesting verse in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 13. The New Testament says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in Scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That's why he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from a tree. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to go up into a tree. I'm going to be nailed to a tree. I'm going to take the curse, Zacchaeus, for your sin. You who know you're a sinner. And I'm going to pay that price in full by laying my life down for you. There's so much more in this story than just a simple song in preschool. And you know what? That's how much Jesus loves you as well. That he hung on that tree. That's how valuable you are to him. That he gave 
everything. Not 10%. Not 50%. He gave it all. If you ever wonder how valuable you are to God, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. That God bankrupted heaven because he loves you and he loves me so much. And when that truth of the gospel hits a human's heart and we really understand what God's done, big change. Big change. Big transformation when we encounter Jesus for who he really is. I'm going to invite the worship team out right now and I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing us with this great case study of a man who learned the difference between the gospel and religion. Thank you, Lord, for how it changed his attitude towards everything. Lord, for some of us, money is not a big issue. But for some of us, Lord, it is the driving issue in our life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would meet all of us in our different places that we find ourselves. Father, for many of us, especially here in New York, money is a pretty big deal. And we ask that you'd help us to see the implications of the gospel of grace on how we think, how we feel, and how we act toward our money. And we pray, Lord, that you'd make us, if we're not already, life-giving Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And we pray that the gospel would turn us into an enormous engine for good in our neighborhoods and the area around us because we have encountered Jesus Christ and he has changed our hearts and he has changed our perspective. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.